I would I would go through those doors and uh, my mom would just she would just look at me and she's like as long as I know you're okay like having to face your mom at four o'clock in the morning it's the last damn thing you want to do man but but she's the one that 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 was there for me every single time and to give her the gift of my sobriety was the coolest thing man the coolest thing is there From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of courageous individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. So we're, we're here again in the uh, Plugged In Media Network studio. Uh, joined today with my good buddy Rick. Hi. And a gentleman that we brought in from Lethbridge and we came across this fella, you know, on his social media platforms and other other uh, referrals from people in our community here in Medicine Hat. And once we connected with, with Shay, you know, what he's doing in Lethbridge is amazing. And we're going to get into that as we go along here. But From Darkness to Life, that's uh, another OCJ podcast. And uh, here we go. You know, how are you doing today, Rick? I'm good. I'm good. Shitty, shitty weather today, but. I'm good. What does good mean? Good means I'm sober. I'm not angry. I'm content in life. I'm I'm happy. I'm fulfilled. Nice. Yeah. Oh, breakfast. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Had we had breakfast. a fat breakfast yeah, today. Had a fat breakfast. Got the bullshit with a good buddy. So yeah. Sweet. Solid start to the day. Let's take it over to our guest, man. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good, boys. Uh, first things first, uh, I want to thank you guys for having me on. Um, it's pretty incredible the impact you guys have had in the Medicine Hat and area and stuff like that. And uh, it's definitely something that I'd like to be a part of for sure. Um, it resonates with me exactly what I'm doing and uh, giving back out of the goodness of your heart and expecting nothing in return is is a pretty valuable trait that I have now um, since being new in recovery and stuff like that. So today is a really good day for me and uh, I'm really proud to be a part of organization organization like this. Uh, again, thank you for the opportunity. For sure, dude. And that's exactly what drew us to you is what you said about us. That's what we thought about you. When I started looking through your social media and reading some of the testimonials of the people that you've helped down there in Lethbridge and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but are you a one man show down there? Yeah, actually I am. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I think that's part of the kind of the control thing I have. Maybe that's <laughs> something I got to work on, but uh, yeah, I've had a few offers, a few guys willing to jump in and stuff like that. So with the up and coming, we're, we're going to look at that and stuff like that, but it's, it is that control for me, I have a I have a hard time kind of letting other people help other people. You know, when somebody calls me, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I drop everything and I go right. And I kind of been slacking on um, the social media side of things and stuff like that. But I've been more digging in hands on. Right. Um, so the mm-hmm. name of my organization um, for the listeners is Leave a Light On Project, yeah. and uh, it's been good. It's uh, we're seven months into it, going on eight now, and. Um, just basically interventions and stuff like that, helping people get where they want to go. And uh, the biggest thing is uh, making a difference, actually, you know, um, not just talking or putting people down. You know, when when somebody calls me and they need help, I meet them exactly where they're at. And I say, hey, you, you know what? Um, you might not like what I'm going to what I'm going <laughs> to tell you, but uh, it's what you need to hear. And you're going to thank me in a year when you're uh, clean and sober and stuff like that. So I meet them where they're at. Um, whatever they may be, I never have any like preconceived notions. I, I just go in blind and, uh, I work with my heart and, um, 
ex- figure out pathways that they can kind of go down that's reasonable right like a lot of these guys have um jobs families businesses and stuff like that they can't just drop everything and go and then i i kind of pressure them and work with them and stuff like that get them into a good treatment facility i don't get paid by any of the treatment facilities i just uh find the right fit for him and um their money and all of that sort of stuff i know alberta passed the thing where the treatment facilities are free now and yeah. stuff like that was a huge milestone for, for, sure. for me and what and what we're doing obviously and uh yeah it's been really really good i love watching the kind of when you first meet the person the the broken i know i always tell the people involved i'm like i'm sorry but it actually like it excites me for to sure. see a broken person because there's so much potential that they can't see in themselves yeah. and i just dive right in i'm like you're gonna know this you just gotta trust me we're gonna work through this and when when you come out after this treatment uh you're gonna shake my hand and you're gonna be back to the person that you were yeah or the person you've <laughs> wanted to be but you've been hindered by addiction and stuff like that so i love totally. that i totally. love that it's like those we talk about it all the time those light bulb moments right when you see those light bulbs come on from that broken dark spot yeah there's nothing rick says it and so does damian lots there's no drug in the world that gives you a feeling like that no when you see that that hope in somebody again well i think i've had that conversation with a few people too and they're you know when you meet them when you when you have that first meeting with somebody it's typically not on a good day in their lives right they're (laughs) they're usually pretty banged up and not feeling good and thinking about jumping off a bridge and yeah and uh and i and i always tell them i'm like you know, I know it doesn't feel like it, but you're going to look back on today as the best day in your life. Yeah. yeah. Right. Cause the, like you need, you need to hit that bottom. You need to just become willing. Yeah. It, like all of the ego needs to go away. You need to get that broken before you can start to recover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and a lot of like the younger guys that I'm helping to like, um, the one of the fellows and stuff like that, I've spent countless hours, just the gem of a mom. And, uh, she, and that's kind of what I was had a hard time explaining to her, like at mm-hmm. 18 years old, like, yes, he's lived, he's hurt, but has he like, has he been crushed? Yeah. You know, has he been pushed mm-hmm. to that limit where he needs to break down, get on his knees. And if you tell him to eat out of a trash can, he'll eat out of a trash can, sure. you know, and that's where that, yes, there <clears> is <throat> always that chance that the per- right person is going to say the right thing. And, mm-hmm. and there is that chance. I never deter anybody seeking treatment but you gotta go through some heartache man absolutely gotta go through some heartache yeah i think we we have a tendency in i know in like 12-step rooms and uh and just some of the people that we've had reach out because we have a you know probably just as many spouses parents whatever right not the actual person suffering reaching out to us yeah and uh and i think we all too often have a tendency to save somebody six inches from their rock bottom and so it just you know it they just don't that ego doesn't quite get broken enough so like you know a couple days out of that they're feeling good they're feeling better again and that resurgence of ego is like well no i think i got this right it's like life isn't too bad dude you were gonna jump off a bridge two days ago like (laughs) you do not got this right but that that ego we because you didn't they didn't quite get done right and i i've got a good buddy well the guy we had breakfast with this morning right yeah i've heard him say to people well maybe you need a little bit more vodka yeah right like yeah. you, you you haven't quite you're not done yeah like you're, go get done for sure and then come back your, your r&d isn't quite exactly. you're not there yet yeah <laughs> 
it's so funny. And when you said earlier about uh, talking to people and <clears throat> saying, you're not, you're maybe not going to like what you're going to hear from me. Right. That reminds me so much when we first talked on the phone, I think I said, you might be related to Rick <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. we have a nickname for Rick and he's the punch in the face. <laughs> and it's, and it's nothing like not, not violent or anything. Right. But it's, it's the cold, hard truth. And some people that works for him, some people it doesn't, but man, it's amazing when that works for somebody and you see that light bulb turn on because other people can't take the sugar off what they're saying. Right. Yeah. But I know when I speak to Rick and I get that feeling from you, it's like, you're going to hear a lot of things come out of my mouth. It's all going to be truth driven and it's cold, hard truths, but it's factual. And you can say that shit because you lived it. Right. And you know, and I'm sure you've lived it too. And I've lived it when we talk about not reaching that rock bottom, right? Because I hear this all the time in the industries and stuff that we can save people. We can elevate people's bottoms before they get there. I'm like, yes, that's true. You can. But how long, the longevity of recovery, what does that look like if you haven't hit that spot like we all hit? Because I know I went to treatment once and that was not my rock bottom. I went to save the job, save everything else, right? And it worked. I would say I was sober. That was it. I wasn't in any reform or recovery. I just took the booze away, which was really made me crazy after that. I I truly believe the one, like the most key word to recovery, the difference between success, failure, and long-term sobriety is surrender. Yeah. Like you need to completely fucking surrender. Yeah. There's, there's no, there can be no doubt in your mind that you can't drink mm. and drug again. <clears throat> For sure. And I find always that's, you leave that crack in that door oh. open just enough. I will kick that door down if there was a crack. <laughs> in it. Yeah. It might be a week. It might be a month, but you're going back out that door someday. Yeah. And I've seen it. You've probably seen it hundreds of times, right? Close those doors up and become willing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I was at when I was 18. I went to an all boys treatment facility in, um, I believe it was like kind of sort of west of rocky mountain house no we were just um, talking about that this morning yeah I think yeah maybe one of them yeah. yeah it wasn't a bad place at all uh again <laughs> i was 18 i was the best looking the fastest the strongest and not one person there could tell me any other way yeah and uh so i, I think i lasted two months just over two months i got physical with the therapist and flipped a <laughs> picnic table and they're like well go then and i said i don't need this place i got it figured out right sure. didn't want to change I, I i went there part to make my parents happy part to make my girlfriend at the time happy and um i knew the whole time i was like man this is a vacation for me yeah. i mean i was broken but at 18 i had only been doing it for three years three four years at that time i haven't hurt man yeah. i haven't hurt at all and uh, i didn't know that until i got out of treatment where i was just like holy shit and then i got involved with the wrong crowd back in with the wrong crowd and my life went downhill fast mm -hmm. i think i lasted three days after i left treatment I can picture the emotions. Like I can feel it all, man. Like it makes my palms sweaty to think about like, sure. and, uh, I just, I, I spiraled out of control and then, and I started running drugs back and forth and all that sort of trying to be the coolest driving a range over as cool, as fast as I could be in. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And, and meanwhile, my hockey talents and, oh, yeah. and charisma and all that stuff is just going down, 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 down. I was showing up to practices, games whacked out and, yeah. and nobody even knew the state I was going to be in. I was punching people in the face at the bar that didn't even know it was coming. And, <laughs> and that's a cool piece now that I've been in recovery and stuff like that. A few of those guys have messaged me and like, you know, man, like I'm proud of you for what you've been doing. 
I'm going to write off everything that happened to us. And I'm like, ah, I punched you in the face and you're thanking me kind of thing. (laughs) But I appreciate that. That's respect right there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you're talking about running drugs and driving around in the Range Rover, it's so funny, man. We talk about TikTok all the time and there's this new, one of the new things going around is I'm fast as fuck boys. You seen that one? Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Like that song playing while you're running around like this superhero, (laughs) right? In your Range Rover. Yeah. (laughs) It's cool, man. But yeah, it's, it's that willingness piece. Right. And, and what I, what I find baffling, you just said a lot about the same kind of concept is for me, when I work with people and I can tell from my own experience, especially if they're oil and gas guys, right. The trajectory you're on, you're headed down this path, you know, and it's not based on theory or any models of counseling or anything like that. It's based on lived experience and all the oil patch guys that I've worked with. And I was one of them. We're fighting to save that big image. So we're checking off the boxes, right? I'll go to treatment. I'll go to meetings. I'll do these things as long as I don't lose any of this stuff, right? As if I'm guaranteed to keep all this stuff, I'm going to do it. But it never works until, you know, for me and my story and some of the guys I've worked with, eventually all that stuff goes because you continuously think, oh, I got this. I can do this in the background, keep all this on the outside looking great. I can keep using and drugging and drinking and doing all these horrible things in life. Mm-hmm. And eventually it's all gone, right? So the things we fight the most to keep while we keep using, because we don't want to face that lack of ego or that, that image. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the face value of your life, you know, it's, um, it's something that I protected, uh, even more than I protected my drugs. I didn't care if you knew <laughs> that I was using drugs and, and a lot of people thought I had it all together. Right. I yeah. was kept a job somewhat throughout the whole time, still somewhat played hockey and stuff like that, drove somewhat nice vehicles and, and I did everything in my power to to make myself feel like I was okay. And deep down inside, I was broken. Mm-hmm. And I was like, the don't cry. Don't ask me how I'm doing because I'm not going to tell you. And if you sit me down and ask me, then we're both going to get in trouble here. Yeah. Right? I was just like, leave me alone. I don't want to hear it. Uh, let me do my own thing. I got this. Same thing. Huge ego. Mm-hmm. Um, still today. Still today, I fight it, man. I yeah. still protect that, that sort of like, yeah, I'm a little tougher than you think kind of thing. And, and I just don't understand why, right? Yeah. Nothing good has <laughs> came of, of being that person. And I spent so many years building that person for what, Yeah. right? I lost respect to my family, my friends, everybody around me didn't want to be anywhere near me. Yeah. But man, when I looked in the mirror, I sure felt cool. <laughs> As I'm four in the morning, yeah. an eight ball in and, and life is just great. Totally. I can, I can walk, look down and watch my shirt bounce because my heart's pumping out of my chest. And I thought I was the coolest of the cool. Absolutely. I shared that one other time is, you know, I thought I was living this life of a rock star, right? Meanwhile, I'm isolated in my truck in the middle of a field for 12 hours, you know, getting high by myself and can't tell anyone I'm doing this because I have to keep that image. Yeah. But what a rock star life. I, in my mind, I'm a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> Looking back, it's complete insanity. Absolutely. And the more I sit and listen to you two both talk and look at each other, you might be brothers. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I just think about you know, um, you know, all the all the characters that I was like you. You know, earlier you talked about you know, having somebody get back to the person they were, and and I've talked about you know, I I, I never knew who I was because I've been. I've been an alcoholic and a drug addict long before I had my first drink or my first drug. Like, this is how my brain's wired. It's, it's, it's who I am. It's in my DNA. Yeah. And, uh, I was uncomfortable with myself. I was uncomfortable existing. I was, I just, for as long back as I can remember. And, and 
I think is probably around grade five or grade six, I started developing a character that what it wasn't an identity. It was just this thing that I was going to project to the world as to who I was. Meanwhile, on the inside, I was completely the opposite of that. This fragile, scared, immature on the outside though. I mean, I was big, tough, charismatic, everybody, you know, it was, it was all, I projected all the things I wanted to be to a extreme Mm -hmm. and, but internally was the exact opposite of that. Right. So I, I, you know, you guys are talking about like feeling like a rock star. Well, I did as long as there was people around and I was putting on that show, Mm -hmm. but come six o'clock in the morning when I'm by myself and I'm looking in the mirror, I'm looking in the mirror and I, I remember, I don't know how many mornings I remember looking at myself in the mirror going, I fucking hate you. Like everything about you, I despise everything about you. And like actually saying it, not like these aren't quiet thoughts, right? These are, I'm saying this to the guy in the mirror. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And then by three hours later, I'm back in the bar for my breakfast drinks and right back at her, right? That mirror piece really resonates with me too as well. Like I... No word of a lie. Went to Canadian Tire and Black spray paint. I was living in the basement suite of the person I was working under at the time. And I literally spray painted the mirrors black in the basement suite because I couldn't bear to see the person that I was looking mm-hmm. back at me. I didn't recognize them. Sure. Oftentimes I would sit there and grab the sink after shaving and like, you know, brushing up. And, and I always took care of myself. I yeah. mean, and uh, I would look back and like same sort, exact same words. Like, what the fuck are you doing, man? You aren't this person. Why are you trying to do this to yourself, man? It's just getting worse and worse. And I would cry and, and wipe my fucking tears away, man. And uh, say, well, this is my life. This is what I've worked hard to create. Yeah. So don't be a pussy. Let's go. Yeah. Well, and I remember uh, the the realization of what am I without this? Like you, we, this character had become my identity. Yeah. And so, okay, if I'm going to stop being this character, I'm nothing else. Like, that's mm-hmm. what I am. Yeah. So it was terrifying to strip that away because it was my identity, right? Yeah. Like, I, who am I? Yeah, that's, that's a fucked up place to be at 34 years old going, well, I guess we're going to find out, like, it's terrifying. who I am, right? And, and again, I... I I, I listen to all, all these people come into rooms going, you know, I need to get back to the guy I used to be. And I'm like, you lucky motherfucker. Like, <laughs> at least you know. At least you know what that was. Yeah. At least you got a baseline, right? Yeah. Like, I don't even have a baseline. I have no idea who I am because I've been this chameleon for my whole fucking life yeah. of never really drilling down a fundamentally what am I. Absolutely. Yeah. They had a baseline at least. And that that's a huge, that was the hugest piece for me to get over when I did make the decision to go to treatment i was like okay this shit's gonna get scary man like i have never in my life unless it was four o'clock in the morning um like i would drive past my my mom and dad's house my mom would have the light on and uh sorry guys and uh i would just keep going around the block and around the block and every time my mom's light was still on and i was just like fuck, I don't want to face her. Like I'm, I'm fucking up hard here. Right. And, uh, I would, I would go through those doors and uh, my mom would just 
she would just look at me and she's like, as long as I know you're okay. And I was just like, fuck. Like having to face your mom at four o'clock in the morning, it's the last damn thing you want to do, man. But, but she's the one that, that, that was there for me every single time. And to give her the gift of my sobriety was the coolest thing, man. The coolest thing to watch her just come out of her shell again. And, and, and I have always had an absolute substantial relationship with my mom, no matter what. My mom and dad never let that slip. Even in the worst of times, we went no longer than 24 hours talking to each other. And, um, yeah. So making that transformation, like, I don't know who I am. So like, even when I got back from treatment and stuff like that, I, I straight up told my mom, like, I may seem different at times. Don't think I'm back on drugs, guys. Like, I don't know who I am. This is going to take until I surpass my 10 or 15 years of addiction. Yeah. I'm that's when, when you start to really, you know, figure out who you are. And I was kind of the same sort of thing. I had put on that show and that act for so long. I truly was starting to believe my own lies oh, for sure. And there was just no two ways about it. That's who I was, right? And so really this last year of figuring out who is Shay, why is he the way he is? What does he really like doing? And like, maybe I didn't like doing certain things back and, and I'm starting to find the love for spending time with family and stuff like yeah. that and and finding those close friends again and stuff like that. But really digging in, being able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what? This guy's pretty cool. Yeah. This guy's pretty cool. I'm still trying to convince my kids I'm cool. <laughs> Good luck. My my youngest son, he won't even, he's got three Instagram accounts and he's given me two of them. Those aren't the right ones. <laughs> he won't even let me be his friend on Instagram. <laughs> but you know what? You, you, you know, you emotional piece there with, with mom, right? And I know Rick, you've spoke about the relationship with your mom and my mom's never left my side either. Right. Always believed in me and, that's a huge piece because I know a lot of people don't have that family support. And yeah. man, I look back now and I was so fortunate I never lost that piece yeah. because I don't know where I would be today without that support. I was 40 years old coming out of treatment and I talk about humbling experience. I had to move back into my mom's basement. Yeah, I was in the same place. Like <laughs> when the wife kicked me out and I was losing my business and I was losing, was losing everything, right? Like, my wife and kids are in my half a million dollar home and like, Mm-hmm. I'm I'm losing everything. Yeah, I'm. Were you okay with that? I didn't. I oh, on the surface, I guess. I think it, like my whole house of cards fell down so quickly. Like inside of a week, I went from like still, you know, the master of puppets, right, holding all this shit together and juggling all these balls, <laughs> and then like one dropped, and inside of a week, the whole fucking castle came down. I don't even know that I. Like I went from being as fucked up as I normally was to suicidal in a week. Mm-hmm. Like that, I just, when it all came down, I, it, I had no, I had no idea how I could even start. Like, it seemed like such a loss and such an insurmountable thing to start writing a comeback story that I was like, fuck it. Right. And, and in that moment, I, I got to a point that I was, you know, I, I truly believed at my core that the world was better off without me. Cause I looked around and all I ever seen was the pain that I had caused. And I knew there was more to come because like <laughs> not all of the truths were out there yet. Right? right. And I'm like, I know as, as, as much pain as I've, I'm, I'm seeing that I've caused 
there's so much more coming. Yeah. That like, I'm like, I, I'm out. Right. And, uh, that's where I went. So I went, I went to suicide really, really quick. Yeah. And that's a, that sort of piece or are you a man kind of like we, we, we work so hard Mm -hmm. and we're, we're, it's drilled into us. You have to be a man. You got to be strong. You got to be tough. And like a lot of, I've worked with a few 45, 55 year old men and I always ask them, do you consider yourself a man? Well, absolutely. I run a business and yeah. stuff like that. I said, well, what about your wife? Would she say you're still a man? And uh, when's the last time that you were a man to your wife? When's the last time that you held the door open for your wife? I said, how about we fix what's going on with you? Yeah. And then you can be a real man. How about be a man and talk about your feelings? Yeah, yeah, how yeah. does that feel? <laughs> right. And they're like instant, like, no. Yeah. And I was the same way. Not a hope, man. Yeah. I was a stone face. Don't even ask. And uh, just watching that kind of transition when you get them into the treatment and stuff like that and, and they call you when when they they hated you because they were at their low right but they loved you so much they didn't know and then uh call you in treatment you know shay things are going good thank you and uh, my lights just go bing there yeah. it is right and i say yeah 15 20 more days we'll get we'll get back we'll come out have a meeting and watching them tell me about the transitions and the and the light bulbs that went off while they were in treatment and stuff like that is such a cool process because I'm like you're talking about your feelings, yeah. or like you're being a man now to me, right? Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. You know, all the people that have come and sat in these chairs, we get that same feedback, right? It's you will before you come through that door. It's very rare that people are talking about feelings and stuff like that, right? But when you come, it's almost like the table of feelings here. <laughs> you sit down at this table. We had a, the superintendent from SD76 on here. We've had police officers on here. We've had psychologists. And it's very rare that there aren't tears at this table. And everybody kind of opens up, right? And it's just that safe space created in here. And we talk about this all the time about stigma, right? If if you want to chip away at stigma, it's not getting the semicolon tattoo. It's not, you know, broadcasting all these awareness programs. It's let's sit down and have these discussions and show people, you know, this is what it looks like to be vulnerable, Outside of this room, people walk by us and think, those are three of the toughest dudes I've probably ever seen, right? Or whatever. But come in this room and this is where the men sit because we'll talk about feelings. We'll cry on the air. We'll do whatever, right? Because we know what happens if you don't do that and you bottle it up and just sit on it for weeks and months and years. It's like a pressure cooker and eventually that top is going to burst and people are going to get hurt. Yeah. It's amazing. And that was all too common in in my past life too, as well as just bottling everything Mm -hmm. up. And then I would blow up over (laughs) spilt spilt water bottle and like everybody around me like what the fuck dude but they don't understand that i've been holding everything in for the last three months of my life and this and you're just the head of of the explosion yeah and a lot of people got it which didn't reserve or didn't deserve it yeah right i was giving it to anybody and everybody that was around at that time well i know we we've mentioned this a couple times right when you have that kind of cocktail sitting inside of you and it's just dying to get out you don't have the coping skills to talk about it or, or find any way to navigate it. Drugs and alcohol are the instant solution to numb that out and not feel it anymore. So Rick says it all the time, right? That wasn't the problem. Drugs and alcohol were the solution for the longest time to suppress all that other shit. And who the fuck would we talk to? <laughs> like yeah. re- really back then? Like yeah. which one of my buddies am I sitting down for that chat? <laughs> like if yeah. I call somebody at four in the morning, I better be sitting on some blow. Yeah. Like that's the only reason they're answering the phone. Yeah. Right. Nobody's, if, if I phone somebody at four in the morning, cause I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Yeah. <laughs> nobody gives a fuck. Nobody's answering that call at four in the morning. Right? right. Whereas now the only people in my phone are people that would answer that call at four in the morning. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And it's like, even if, even if I wanted to, I wouldn't have known how I wouldn't have had the people around me and, and not, it's because that's what I attracted, right? Like it's, it's not necessarily their fault, right? It's, it's, that's, I wasn't looking for anything more because I didn't want anything more because God forbid anybody see behind the curtain, right? Like, so just this life of bullshit trying to keep up what and for what, like, you know, it's, it's crazy. The thoughts, the. Totally. The motivations. That's where that connection with that one counselor I talk about in my story at treatment who had 25 years, whatever it was in recovery was the first dude. He was kind of a hard, hard nosed dude off the streets of Vancouver and this and that bike gangs. And he's the first person ever to call me on my shit. When I walked by him that day and I've spoke about that, he said, dude, you can keep bullshitting yourself in here and you're going to die when you're ready to do some work. Come find me. And I thought, no counselor says shit like that. But this dude, once I got sitting down with him and started having this conversation, I'm like, this guy gets it. Cause he, fuck, he walked that walk. He knows that you are going to die. And that's where, you know, I, I have such a hard time working with people that haven't reached that bottom yet. Cause you, you guys as well can see their trajectory. You know where they're headed. Right. But yeah. until they get there, I've just come to that place now where I just say some prayers and hope they make it alive to get there and, and get the help they need. Because if you're not willing, it's like the old saying, if you're not going to be an active participant in your own savior, it's pretty tough to save anybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your project in Lethbridge, dude? That's amazing. Uh, so yeah, like I said before, leave a light on project. Um, the name came from, I actually wrote my parents a poem, um, getting into my creativity side of my brain for the one time in treatment (laughs) and uh right after art therapy (laughs) exactly yeah i think i drew a a a skull on a rock or something and then uh yeah no that's funny um and at the end of the poem is about tying my skates and how they always made every one of my hockey games and uh they were always there for me, even when the lights of the arena shut down. It's a pretty cool poem. I'll have yeah, to send it off totally. to you guys. And uh, once the arena lights shut down, I always knew when I walked through those doors, I would always get a a good job, son. Like, we're proud of you, son. Like, my parents were always there, right? And uh, at the end, I said, uh, please leave your light on. I'm coming oh home. And uh, that hit my mom real, real hard because, uh, well... Like I said before, she, that was her, right? And um, so it wasn't even a, a thought, there's the name, boom. And the reason why I started it was in treatment, I got over my ego and I got over myself and I said, okay, I am who I am. And chances are anybody who's going to say shit to me is probably living the same life I was living or they have no fucking idea mm-hmm. or relevance in my life. So I don't care. So I made that switch, boom. Let's get, get over the shit. Let's deal with it and let's be a man, face it the proper way, work through it and come out and, and be who I looked up to growing up. Be that guy, right? Control the room, have people want us around you. So I, I got out of treatment and I, and I was kind of at that tipping point. Do I tell people at work where I was going, where I was? And then I was like, you know what, man, I am who I am. So one guy came up to me and he's like, Hey man, uh, everybody's asking about you. I was gone. What the hell? Where'd you go? I said, well, if you have a minute, I'll sit down with you and I'll tell you. So we jumped in the pickup truck and thankfully had a little bit of five and 10 minutes and I'm halfway through telling him what's going on. And he starts crying and he's like, man, I did this program six years ago. I'm six years clean. I said, no way, man. So then I would go on about my day and it was like literally the next day. Um, I had a, a guy jump in my pickup. We were training him and, um, 
he breaks down crying after he asked me what happened. And uh, he's like, my wife is accepting her 30 day chip in two days. I'm like, no way. And so I was like, you know what? There's something here. You know, there's, there's a, there's a piece of the puzzle that's missing. It's, it's that disconnect where there's a pamphlet sitting at the hospital, but no hands to grab it Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like, I just want to connect that. Right. I I don't know shit, man, but I lived it and and we're going to figure this, this out together. So I got out, I was back in work and I was like, okay, I want to do something. I want to raise awareness for addiction. I said, how the hell am I going to do that? I said, well, let's start with your story. So I sat down I said, I'm about 500 times. And I think I had 300 (laughs) one minute clips. I'm like, no, that's not good enough. Not good enough. And then I'm like, fuck it. Let's do this. So I, I went through, told my whole story. And I think within, it was just shy of a week I think it hit 15,000 people yeah it's up over like 30,000 right now and uh so then I I got the name from the poem and I drew out a little (laughs) thing like a lantern my original piece and stuff like that and I'm like I'm gonna get stickers and and stuff like that and I'm gonna have other people that I went to treatment with tell their story yeah well I went through them real quick and then other people were messaging me and like I at one point I had over 300 unread messages from people and I'm just like holy shit we nailed it and and the the piece where I struggled the most was was um like it being a man and and not wanting to talk about your feelings and stuff like that and nobody really met me where I was at and that's a huge part about what I do is I drop everything in and go to where that person is right so a lot of times they'll message me say hey so-and-so of my family son brother father whatever it is isn't doing so good I say where are you at and what's the time that meets for you there's no I don't care what drug I don't care what guns I don't care what your life story is let's sit down and talk mm-hmm. and I've noticed that that is that is the breaking point when somebody comes to you and and they even push a little pen saying, I need help. If you don't act now, you're going to miss it. Yeah. Maybe it'll come around again, but that, that I'm not willing to take that chance. Mm-hmm. So I just drop, let's go. <laughs> yeah. I, it doesn't matter. Right. It's that, that window of opportunity, right? We talked about that. It, it closes quickly. Yeah. If somebody isn't there, like I know in your story, Rick, he did all the right things, right? He was sitting in the, in the addiction and mental health office, talking to a counselor on the day he was suicidal and saying, this is what I need to do. And I need help. And okay, here's your appointment in five weeks or whatever it was. Like, well, that window is closing. <laughs> yeah, I, I walked out of that office figuring out how I'm ending my life that day. Yeah. Yeah. And and <clears throat> and that's the part where um, the, the counter and that sort of side of things is tough for me because it's like, oh, shit, I need to go to school and I need to get my counseling and stuff like that. And, uh, and uh, there was a huge punch in the face, I'd like to call it, when I was working with this mom and she's like, it was my first client or second client and I said oh boy like I don't know I'm gonna phone a treatment center and see what they have to say about this like where we should go right Mm -hmm. I don't know she's like Shay I trust you I don't care what any of the professionals have to say you lived it my son's beginning the life that you're living I trust you what do we do and I'm like you know what all the schooling and stuff like that. It's nice to have your name on a piece of paper, but I'm, but for me, it's, it's more, I'm, I'm starting and, uh, and ending at making a change and, and, and being a part of it through it all. Like I say, only the, the 30 to 50 days before we get somebody into treatment is just the the first page in, in actual recovery. Right. And, and so when they go through, 
to treatment and they're calling me and stuff like that. And they're so proud that they're there. And, and I'm like, yeah, just wait, wait till, wait till you feel the feeling when you have freedom, then yeah. the real work begins. The freedom. So yeah, it's so true. And lockdown. I've had people in the, in the industry, cause I'm an addictions counselor and I've had lots of people ask me, are you going to go get your master's? Are you going to do this, this and that or whatever? Right. And I'm like, mm, no, I'm not because I've sat across from people and I'm, you know, we make it a big point at what we're doing here, not to shit on other people, other agencies, they're doing the best they can. Right. And capacity is an issue and all these other things. Right. So we always say, how can we help? How can we fit in to help carry the load or help, you know, share the burden or get people where they need to be. But for me, it's like, if you can't build rapport with somebody and that trusting relationship within that first half an hour, cause we know how quickly that window closes, it don't matter how many plaques you got on that wall. You're never going to get to use them. Right. Yeah. Cause they'll never come back. They walk out that door. Well, that, and I've seen it a hundred times, right? Well, that was a fucking waste of time. Okay. Well, let's go try somebody else. Let's try somebody else. Right. And it's that instant you can build rapport and it's usually very expedited and very quickly because you know what you're talking about. You've been there, you know, the darkness, you know, the pain, you know, the suffering. Yeah. Right. And it just builds that instant. I'm sure you've had the same thing, Rick, you as well. Like I, I've sat in the police station and talked to people in cells and they've said, what do you know about addiction? You're just another addictions worker. And I'm like, oh, well, looks like you're not going anywhere for about six hours. So let's sit down and have a chat. And I tell them a little bit about my story. Right. And they're like, Oh wow, you do kind of get this. Yeah. And it's just that instant connection you can build. Right. And it's a piece that, you know, all the schooling out there, you can't teach connection, right? You can, you can lay the models out and you can tell people, this is how you should act. This is, you know, we meet people where they're at person-centered approach, but it's really tough to do. It's easy to read and easy to write tests on it, but it's really tough to put into action if you haven't been there. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most important things I think you touched on there, Shay, is um, how treatment's just the beginning. Like, yeah. uh, you know, we do a lot of, um, well, I'm part of another group that does a lot of work with the recovery center here in town where we get to go in uh, every every few weeks and, and talk to the people that are in there and early, early in their recovery. And uh, I say that all the time. It's like, you know, this is, this is a great opportunity to start, but I'm like, this 28 days is the beginning of something. It's not the end. Like you're, you're, you're the day you graduate this program, you're not done. No, you're just starting. Yeah. There's like, no magic pill in treatment that all no. of a sudden you take, yeah, you get it on your 28th day, not your 29th. <clears throat> yeah. We would have, be we would have probably taken three or four of them. <laughs> crushed them up. Oh, yeah. them, yeah. That's good. No, but, um, you know, it's, 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 it gives, it, it gives you treatments. Great. It's an amazing tool. It's so good for people to get, you know, whatever it is, 28, 60, 90 days, whatever that is, it gives them a chance to like get their head clear so they can at least start, start the process of being honest, start the process of finding out who they are, start all of these things. But what I see all too often is on that 28th day, day 29, they go back to the exact same group social circle socioeconomic what like they go back to the exact same place that mm -hmm. put them there in the first place yeah and it's like well if you because you really haven't had like 28 days isn't enough time to fundamentally change who you are no. and build a support structure and a community and all of the <clears> things <throat> that it takes to achieve sustained sobriety yeah. so if you're like all all you are 28 days into it is not fucked up yeah, yeah. That's it. Like you're a long ways away from good. 
right? Yeah. And there's one thing I always say to everybody that I'm working with. There's a, only recovery is really easy, guys. And then, and they're kind of like, what? <laughs> say, yeah, it's really easy. There's only one thing you have to change. And they're like, okay, what's that? It's like everything. Yeah. I had to, cha- I had to, it breaks my heart, brings me to tears every time I think about it. Every single one of my friends from my past life, I can't have in, have conversations with. Yeah. And I always tell them, it's not you guys, it's me. I know myself so well now after treatment, after digging into who I am, looking inwards for once, that I know myself, I know the signs. It would never be you. I'm not worried about the cocaine that's sitting on the table. It's me, yeah, right? I know you're not going to put it up my nose, but I'm the first person to grab the bill, yeah, right? And so, yeah, nothing changes or nothing changes if nothing changes. Yeah. It's all about making those changes and you have to change everything. Yeah. It's a, it's not a sprint, right? It's a marathon and it's a process. And we talk about that all the time. We have people, Rick mentioned it earlier, people reaching out. Can you help fix my daughter or my son or my husband or whatever? Right. And the misconception with treatment I find most of the time is that people come out of treatment and their surrounding circle thinks they should be fixed. Now you've been to treatment. You should be fixed. You're all better now. Yeah. And that is the, can't be any farther from the truth, right? That's like your head is a little bit less foggy now. Now you have to really start working on the tools that were produced or presented to you in treatment. You have to continue that throughout the rest of your life because it's so easy to go back to where we used to be. Yeah. Yeah. There is no quick fix. And and that's part of that. Um, having a pamphlet in the hospital and no hands to grab it piece yeah. that I said is a lot of people just don't know, right? Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. I thought, oh, I'm going to go to treatment and I'm going to be all better for my sure. first time. Me too. And then uh, really going my second time, I was just like, oh shit, this, this shit's real. And that counselor that you had was the exact same thing. Same sort of situation. Kind of said, you know what? You, you need to start asking yourself, are you even telling the truth anymore? Are you here to do some work? And I was actually upset when I found out the program wasn't three months. I was like, I can't get fixed in 48 days. And then, so the first time I, I made the decision, I did 30 days before I went, mm-hmm. I made the decision. I made a promise to my brother. I said, I will not touch drugs until I get into treatment because it happened too many times to the friend group and the, and the people in the community and stuff like that. They make that decision. And then the, that one last party gets yeah. them. And I just was, <laughs> I'm not willing, right. I'm better than that. Like I'm holding myself higher. And I did every, I think I crushed six Red Bulls a day for those 30 days. I was doing everything I can just to stay focused. I'd mow the grass after mowing the grass, man. And uh, so I got into treatment and I said, okay, I'm not even, they give you that grace period of like three days or whatever. Like if you're hungover or whatever, a lot of people come in on wheelchairs, puking on themselves. I wasn't that guy. And uh, I said, I'm going to do three months of work in 48 days. Like my treatment begins now. I showed up at 9:30 in the morning, 10:30 we were already having uh I was in group. I joined right in, just walked through the door. They expected me to go and lay in my bed and stuff like that. Right. So I dug my toes in and I was like, I'm here. I'm going to be the best version of myself while I can. I'm going to figure out hey, why I am the way I am. Why did I make the decisions I made? I know I don't want to be that other person. So if you tell me to jump, I say how high. Yeah. I'm trusting you guys. I'm here. I'm on my knees. Let's go not a second off for those 48 days. I spent every waking hour until 1230 at night, every single day. Um, they would give you from nine o'clock till 11 when the lights were out or whatever. I'd spend every night learning about other people and hearing their story. And the one counselor, his name was Warren, same sort of thing. He had seven years PhD and all this stuff. And he brought me aside in the lunchroom and he's like, man, how do you do it? And I said, what do you mean? He's like, 
you, everyone in the room gravitates to you. And he's like, you're the only person that the owner of the treatment facility said I was the only person in the 21 years that they've been around or 22 years that knew every single person. There's a hundred and something people on any given day in there, every person by name. But they also, I knew a little bit of everybody's story. And that's when I, when I got out where it's just like, this is my thing. Yeah. This is my thing. <laughs> so cool, man. And that's an amazing piece, right? When you start putting the other people ahead of your ego yeah, and wanting to really know somebody, not just to, we talk about that all the time again, right? It's, it's listening to understand, not to fix somebody. It's like, let me understand what it's like to be you for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's, it's a lot easier to connect people that way. Well, I have two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? It's like, uh, I'm going to listen. And and a lot of times I find, you know, shutting my mouth is sometimes the best medicine for somebody that's at that tipping point is just listening. A lot of people just don't, they don't have, they don't have the time or they won't make the time to just shut up and just listen. What the fuck is this guy going through or girl going through? For sure. It's not about me anymore. This is about you. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. This reminds me of a story. I was working with a guy, uh, again, it was at the local recovery center here. Um, I'd went in to speak and then this guy kind of resonated with me and liked me and started working with him. And, uh, actually I think that, I think that, that engagement, it was me and Damien were the two speakers. And, uh, so I think we were both kind of working with this guy trying to support him cause he was in, he was in recovery Well, he was in the treatment center, but just introduced to the program and we were kind of starting to, you know, I try to get people to step eight before they get out in the 12 step process. Um, so I think we'd kind of done one, two, and three, and this guy was just really, really angry, and he's actually from Lethbridge. And he got in a fight, and he punched somebody out in, and got kicked out, right? So he f- phones me up, and he's like, they're fucking kicking me out, and he's all angry, and I'm like, well, you broke the rules. You punched a guy in the face, so yeah, they're kicking you out. Like, that's accountability, buddy, right? <laughs> this is real life. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, well, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to get home, so... I call Damien and we're having a chat. We're like, well, fuck it. Let's, let's take this guy home. Like, let's go pick him up and take him home. And like, you know, we got a whole bunch of weird looks and like some calls from the recovery center when we told them we were coming to get him. Cause they're like, dude, this guy's got like kind of a checkered violent past, right? Like he's very agitated right now. You might not want to do that. Right. And me and Damien, we're like, fuck that. We're going to get him. Right. <laughs> so we throw this guy in the truck and we're, and and our thoughts are we've got two hours to drill into this guy's fucking head without anybody around, right? Like he's sitting in the backseat of a truck. He's got nothing to do but listen to us. And we made it to about Bull Island and it was just everything that was said. It was, yeah, but like his replies were, yeah, but, and I know, and I'm like, I know. And yeah, but like, no, you fucking don't. And it was right around Bow Island. Damien was driving and he just started laughing because I turned around. And he's a big dude, right? But I turned around and I'm like fucking poking him in the chest. And I'm like, you need to shut the fuck up and listen. Stop talking and fucking listen. Because all of your yeah, I knows have got you here. You just got kicked out of the only fucking place that would take you in right now. So pull your head out of your ass. Shut the fuck up and listen. Yeah. And he like. You could just tell, like, nobody had, nobody had said that to him before, right? And, like, he didn't really know how to respond, and he just sat there in shock. And then he listened for an hour and a half. By the, like, 
fast forward three months, that guy's running. He started his own 12-step group down there. He's running a book study. He's like as engaged and killing it. And I'm like, holy fuck. Like amazing. But just that the punch in the face, right? Like this story brought to you by the punch in the face. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just you could tell. It's like, dude, shut up. You don't know. Like you don't know what you don't know. And quit thinking you like you're not fooling anybody here. No, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're a fucking mess and we know it. Yeah. Quit trying to convince us you're not. Yeah. It was oh fuck out. Yeah, you'll never forget that decisions led you into treatment <laughs> yeah how good right. is your decision yeah, right? Right. at times you just don't know maybe i don't got this yeah. Yeah. my best thinking got me to suicide well yeah. and, and that's the thing right i think that's one of my biggest gifts i've learned is i'm usually wrong yeah. like don't trust myself because at least like i don't know how many phone calls i make to you or to you know my social supports now of like just running shit by them going like because i don't necessarily trust my own mind because it's I wouldn't either. It's tricked me a few times, right? So I'm like, hey, you know, here's what I'm thinking. I'll run it by somebody and they'll either give me a yep or a no. And I'm like, okay. And there's no ego attached to that response. Like if I'm being a fucking idiot, tell me I'm being a fucking idiot. And I'm at a place now that I'm like, okay, thank you as opposed to fuck you. Right? Absolutely. And that all comes back to like for me, the three fundamental things, the foundation of my recovery is, and I learned this through my 12-step program is honesty, become open-minded and become willing. And that none of those three things, those were foreign concepts to me for the first 39 years of my life. And now, as long as I'm being honest with myself, I can be honest with you guys and everyone else. I can be open-minded to sitting and listening to you guys where, cause I know there's a lot more things out there than what I know and willingness to try new things because that's what you, you talked about it earlier, right? Um, you did X amount of days work in 48 days. Yeah. And, and for me, when, when I, connected with that counselor and he told me you know some of his story and i was only there i was there seven weeks and i he suggested why don't you give yourself a goal like your word is all you fucking got left in life man everything else is gone does that mean anything to you i'm like yeah my word means a lot to me still he says well give yourself your word then that you'll make it to one year and you'll try everything that comes your way recovery focused or solution focused from anybody who's in recovery anything that comes your way do it and if you don't like it, you don't have to keep doing it, but at least be willing to try everything. Fuck, I sat there taking my one-year chip, and I thought, man, that worked. I got here. I didn't turn anything down. I just kept saying, okay, I'll try it. I'll try yeah. it. I'll try it. It's worked for you. Maybe it'll work for me. And I didn't think, now nah, that won't work for me, or I got this, or that's bullshit. Or, yeah. You just got to become open and get that ego out of the way. Yeah, that's funny you said that. I actually just got off the phone two days ago with one of the gentlemen's in treatment, and He's not connecting with what they're saying and he doesn't have answers for, for the questions they have and stuff like that. And, and I try and like nicely kind of reason with them and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, promise me one thing, you know, we both, we all know you want to leave. Nobody wants to fucking be there. Right. One person wants to be there. I said for this next week, give me one more week of your time for this next week, Monday morning, you say yes. If you can't fill in an answer, Write some bullshit fucking story down because it's something in that you're going to write down might trigger you to remember on the next question. I said, if you have to do the sheets in reverse, do the fucking sheets in reverse, but do not say no one time for this next week. At the end of the week, you call me, tell me if you still want to leave. Yeah. And um, I'm fortunate enough. He's still there. <laughs> and uh, I guess we have three, five more days or whatever it is. And uh, we'll find out if it worked. 
his mom said that uh, he he's he came with an illness or something. So he's kind of taking a little bit of time off, but he's still in the treatment facility. Yeah. He doesn't want to leave. So cool. so far so good, but yeah, we'll yeah. see. So I'm really excited about that. That's cool that you said that. Oh, I love it. It is a bit of a crapshoot, that bluntness, right? And it's because sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I mean, I know like different personalities, different responses, right? And and sometimes, well, we, we play it between the two of us really well, I think, right? Yeah. You know, somebody will reach out and tell their story. And uh, so we're, we're both admins on the account. So we, every message that comes in, we both see, right? And so we'll, we'll see it. And then we'll phone each other and be like, okay, is this a, is this a you or is this a me? Right. Like, <laughs> For sure. does this person need a hug or a punch? Like which, who's handling this? Right. And sometimes that'll change like yeah. halfway through. It's like, no, no, no. I've, I've tried punching him. It didn't work. So like maybe he needs a hug. Right. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it is a crapshoot, but I find that even when you think it didn't work, you've planted a seed and maybe it's just our timing wasn't right. Maybe they weren't quite broken enough yet. Yeah. So there's no wins or losses, right? Mm -hmm. It's just now's not the time. But that sure. seeds planted. Like I've, we're we're very clear about going. There, there is a solution. Yeah. There is recovery is possible. You can be a recovered addict. Yeah. You can be a recovered alcoholic. There is a solution. Yeah. If you're still breathing, there's still a chance. Yeah. If you want it, it's up to you. It's going to take some work. For sure. And, and like I said, you know, maybe it's just a timing issue because there's a lot of people that need to go out and do some more research and development. They haven't quite heard enough to surrender mm -hmm. yet. For sure. And I think the, you talked about the winning and losing, right? There's no such thing out there. For me, when I, you know, I've had to reframe success in this role hundreds of times over the last six years. And for me, it, it comes down to answering that bell. When that bell's rung, if I'm there to answer it, that's a success. And maybe I'm never meant to see where that seed takes somebody or when it's going to germinate, right? It could be six years from now and I'm never going to know. Or what the ripple effect is. Might not even be with that person. Totally. Yeah. But if I'm there to answer the bell, when somebody reaches out for help, there's a chance, right? And as long as there's a chance, I'll just keep answering the bell because somebody was there that answered it when I rang it. And uh, I likely would be dead today if they weren't there. So. Mm -hmm. And that's what's fascinating about, you know, you're doing almost identical work that we're doing for the exact same reasons, right? It's, it's to help people better their quality of life. It's not to be recognized in the media or, no. or pat on the back or man, you're amazing, right? You're that rock star that you thought you were years ago, <laughs> but it's for the right reasons. And man, that there is nothing out there that makes a guy feel that good. No. And it is still selfish for me. My motivation is still selfish. Like I'll give anything like I'll, I'll, I'm there. I will answer the bell. I will, I've answered calls at three thirty in the morning from the police mm -hmm. from the police department going, This guy's telling me that I need to call you and we're about to book him, right? Yeah. I answer that call, but I answer that call because today I'm the best version of me that I've ever been. Yeah. And and that's the selfish part for me is I know for me to be the best me I can be, I need to help other people. So I am selfishly motivated because I know I'm an asshole if I'm not, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not a good person yeah. if I'm not. So it's, it is, you know, I, I'm, I'm quick. If, if we ever do get credit or the pat on the back, I'm quick to go, quick to go, no, no, no. Like I'm doing this for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> definitely. And that's part by doing it by myself and stuff like that. I've really found is just 
which I learned in treatment is just setting those healthy boundaries and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I'm sorry. I don't answer the phone at three 30 in the morning. For sure. Call me before the drink, not after <laughs> yeah. is what I always tell everybody. If there's something that you need to talk about, I mean, I hate waiting, but it can wait. Like, you know, I'm, I'm one guy here. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm a newly new father, uh, wife. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank awesome. You. And, uh, I work, I work out of town and stuff like that. I'm go, go, go. I'm busy all the time mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I will dedicate every hour I can, but by no means am I coming to pick you up from the cop shop at three 30 in the fucking morning. Cause nobody <laughs> oh, no. did that for me. <laughs> don't, don't, don't be wrong. I got the call. They didn't like what I said. <laughs> I answered the phone. It yeah. wasn't necessarily a, yeah, I'm on my way by any yeah. means. Sure. My response was, yeah, you should probably just fucking book them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That'd give me, be my response. Give, give me a call in the morning when he's sober and willing to hear something. And then I'll yeah, have a good day. Here. Click. That's exactly. Right? Yeah. The other way does not work. <laughs> no. Yeah. What do you want us to do with them? Well, you're the police. Fucking arrest them. Yeah. Like, yeah. give him one of them cozy cement beds for the night. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy down there. You know, and, and I find that all the time, even in my professional role, right? Is meeting people, talking to people in cell slots and, Nine times out of 10, I get the, I don't have a problem. Or can you help me get out of here quicker? Like, no, and we'll see you next week because <laughs> you'll be back, right? It is a problem. And talking to people when they're intoxicated or lifted off the ground high, whatever it is, right? There isn't a real solid chance that they're going to hear any message from us. No. And that's the part. I go back to when I was lifted up. <laughs> I wasn't listening to anybody, right? It, my mind 99% of the time was, how am I going to get more? How am I going to hide it? And how am I going to continue to get more? I wasn't listening to anybody, but when I became broken enough and it was painful, then I was willing. Yeah. Yeah. Your mind opened itself in a way, right? And, and I thought like the rock bottom thing, like I thought I hit my rock bottom at 17 years old and then I went deeper at 18 and then I was deeper at 19 and I honestly thought I didn't have a rock bottom. Yeah, right. I was, because a huge part is I always maintained is how the longevity of the the drug career was okay with me because uh, I was like, yes, Friday night came and, and I was a mess and I spent 600 to a thousand dollars and stuff like that. And I had people over and I had people surrounding and I was driving, like I said, nice vehicles and stuff like that. So I was maintaining. So when, once I got over the hangover at five o'clock that next day and started up again, I was like, ah, oh, fuck life ain't that bad. Yeah. I still, my girlfriend's still answering the fucking phone. I, I still have a family, right? I'm yeah. still alive. And then I was just like, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And I would lie to myself over and over and over. <laughs> and it's like, it's not that bad. And then I kept hitting lower and lower. And I was looking around the people that I was hanging out with. And I'm like, holy fuck, how the fuck did I get here? Yeah. Somebody that was supposed to be going this way is so far down this way. And For then sure. I would go deeper and deeper and deeper until I was just so broken sitting on a, on the edge of my couch. And um, my girlfriend was sitting right beside me and I'm just like, I don't want to live anymore. Yeah. And she's like, what do you mean, Jay? Like, don't say that to me. Don't you, what, what can we do? What can we do? And it's just like, there's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. I'm done. My eyes are shut. I said, sew me up. I'm done. And, uh, that it wasn't until I hit that point where I could have blown my head off at that time. Yeah. Wouldn't even think twice about it. I was done, man. I, I didn't care. If you said, give me the keys to your truck, I'd give you the keys to my truck, have the keys. I just bought a house, have my house. None of it meant anything to me. Yeah. And I was just at that point where it was just like, either this shit happens right now or I'm done, man, because I'm just going to go and grab the wrong stuff and purposely take myself. Yeah. And, um, that's when I knew like, this is time for change, right? 
how am I this bad? And then I flipped it and I was scared. I was running from that moment. Mm-hmm. I was just like, fuck, that was fucking scary, man. Like, I don't ever want to go back to yeah. that. I will never, I promise myself, mm-hmm. I will never put myself in that place, in that mindset, mm-hmm. telling my mom I would trade her in for one more line of cocaine. And like that sort of, that mental block that I had and that broken person, I will never, ever be ever again. And what a feeling that is to say and to live daily is, is the biggest piece for me is just living, knowing I, I will never have to say, I haven't said sorry in a year. Yeah. I have no reason to say sorry. Yeah. I haven't hurt anybody. I haven't done fuck all. It's like, holy shit. Life is really good. Like we're making change and I don't have to say sorry. Like what? And I went, Obviously, the people in my life didn't even listen when I said sorry before because it was every second word. It's just another word. Yeah, that's a cool. Life is real good now. It's really cool. That's so awesome, man. And that's you. You kind of touched on a few pieces there, and I think about the the twelve step program and step one is you know I, my life would become unmanageable. I was powerless over my addiction, and that kept me out there using for a long time because. What you said, how you were still functioning and sort of keeping things together, that was me too for the longest time. And I'm sure it was like that for you, Rick. I couldn't wrap my brain around. My life is manageable. I'm managing my life, right? But I look back now and the unmanageability piece was happening between my ears. Like my head was going frigging crazy. And the compulsion to get more drugs and nothing else in life mattered. My kids, nothing mattered more than the drugs. And that's the unmanageable piece is I was willing, you know, (laughs) I'll trade my mom for one more line and I never said those words, but I would have traded a lot for one more line. That's yep. for damn sure, right? I traded my job. I traded my my marriage. I traded everything in my life, all my finances, college education funds for one more line. And at the end of the day, it was all against my own will at the end. Like I didn't want to do it anymore, but I didn't know how to get out of it. So that's suicide for me. Mm-hmm. Rick talks about how one week, right? For me, it's that, and it, that piece about being a man plays into it too. I wanted everybody to think I was this big, successful, high society, fucking construction, big oil patch man, right? A man's man. And when I turned that guilt of all the things I did to shame and it flipped to, I'm, I'm the mistake. Holy fuck. It happened quickly. I was taking myself out. Yeah. Oh, what a gross spot. And, and every time I think about, cause I'm six and a half years into recovery now and the odd time my brain tells me, man, you could go have a beer. You could, marijuana is legal now. You can go smoke a joint. Instantly, I go back to that feeling you talked about sitting on the edge of your couch. That darkness at the end of my run and how alone and scared and horrified I felt. I go instantly. That thought follows the, you can have a joint. It goes to black. And it's not even a thought anymore. Like, nope, not happening. I never want to feel that lonely and broken again. And I've had the exact same thought, right? Like sitting around people who are socially drinking and so you know that that can those people those people (laughs) weirdos (laughs) (laughs) you know the fuck has one drink with dinner (laughs) exactly we we can go to the we can go to the pub for supper and they'll have like two drinks with the meal and then we'll go home i'm like and they'll and they'll leave some of it i'm like well you're you're not even done right (laughs) what is this witchcraft (laughs) (laughs) but i'm watching i'm watching that happen they're joking they're like oh yeah we we should get some edibles and we should go do this and i'm kind of sitting there going Maybe I could do that. Like maybe an edible, maybe just like the, a good body stone, right? Maybe I could just mean, and like, it's really fleeting yeah. because I'm like, but what if it's not just that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, yeah, maybe I could eat, maybe I could do mushrooms one day a year. And it's like my hall pass day, <laughs> right? Just to like, 
And then I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's not, I know the potential, like it's not worth the risk. Whatever that might be is not worth. Now that I've seen this, what life can be, I ain't throwing this away for shit. No, like, and that's how I'm not even gambling. Like not even that it's annoying. Like I'm not even gambling with that. No, no. And the the part that I use most is playing the tape to the end. Like I always run scenarios. I I convince myself, I have it all pictured in my head. I'm going to book a Vegas trip. And (laughs) when I'm, when I'm retired, I'm going to Mexico, just me. I'm going to do the best blow there is just one last time and whatever. If that keeps you fucking sober and keeps you going, whatever. But I always play the, the tape to the end. It's like, yeah, you know what? I could get a bag. I know the guy. I probably remember his number. If yeah. not, I know where he lives. Okay. So I got that figured out. I know I can get the drugs. Okay. So I'm going to call into work tomorrow so that just in case they piss test me. And then it's like, okay, so I don't have to work tomorrow. And then it's like, ah, uh, I can fucking pull some bullshit story and uh, avoid the girlfriend for a while. Okay. Yeah. And then I start, I have all my bases covered. And then it's like, but what if, Yeah. what if, like, is it worth it? And then I, and then I, play the tape to the end and they say okay now she found out mm-hmm. and now my leave a light on and, and the people that I'm preaching to about about this and about that um, now all that's come crashing down it's like oh fuck that yeah. like you know that decision just I, I and I let my I let my emotions play with that a little bit maybe I should maybe I shouldn't I can bring myself to having sweaty palms and like really <laughs> sure. like you know and you're like ah. tasting in the back of your mouth yeah <laughs> and it's like I, no <laughs> <laughs> Well, and even listening to you lay that out, right? Because I, I can remember being in those moments too. Uh, lay out all those bases you can cover, right? Like I'm getting exhausted sitting here listening to that. Because that lifestyle, that's what it was all about, oh, right? Juggling lies. so exhausting. Juggling bullshit. Oh my yeah. God. I've, my mind has never been more free. I don't have to think about every single waking moment, how much I can do how I can do it, where am I going to get it? And who do I have to fucking lie to, to go through and avoid what, what things do I have to avoid events and stuff like totally. that? So I can just do what I want to do. Like to be completely honest, fast forward two years ago, I, if you guys sat me down under different circumstances, I probably would have done a line in the bathroom and then came and sat here. For it was sure. everyday life for me. I you wouldn't have to, we would have chopped. I don't know there how much go. they clean that bathroom. So I'll just do it here. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. <laughs> but yeah, it's like that, that emotionally, physically draining just yeah. to do one thing. Yeah. I give it all up every day just to get to that point where I could just do that one line. I do that one line and it was great for that 15 minutes and then just boom. Do it again. Yeah. Over and over and over. And it got worse and worse and worse, man. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So exhausting. Just thinking about it nowadays. Yeah. I don't know how we survived that lifestyle. The I'm lucky to be still married one <laughs> to, to the, she is so amazing. Yeah, she is that, uh, like when there was a lot of hurt, there was a lot of pain. There's been a lot of ups and downs in our relationship. Um, but in the end, I remember her sitting, looking at me, like when I could really, when we were in a place that she, I don't even want to say forgiven for her, but. When we were in a decent place, I remember her looking at me with empathy and sympathy and going that it must have been exhausting. Mm -hmm. Juggling all of that. And like once, you know, years, years later, you know, as, as the more we do this, the more I talk, the more, you know, we're open about it, the more she, 
I think gets a glimpse behind the curtain of what was going on. Cause I think she, she really thought she knew what was going on and it wasn't at all the reality of what was going on. And so, um, for her to just be so empathetic that she's like, man, that must've been exhausting. Right. Like, I don't think for anybody that shits on an addict or an alcoholic and says, you guys are useless, lazy pieces of shit. You have no idea. No kidding. How much energy and thought and preparation and like, we are the hardest working people there are <laughs> to keep and juggle. And like, it's exhaust, it's exhausting, man. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't even realize how draining it was until like, I'm not drained anymore. Yeah. Like it, it took it going away for me to even realize the weight of what I was doing. Cause I didn't even recognize it in the moment until it's gone. Yeah. And you're like, why, why am I not filled with anxiety? Why am I not depressed? Why? Like, you know, and, and that because it had been so familiar for so long, it was comfortable. So once it went away, I got uncomfortable. So now I'm like, I'm uncomfortable in sobriety. Cause I don't understand why I don't feel this crazy weight. And that's, that's a pretty good window of, you know, that's what that 28 day program gets you. Yeah. That uncomfortableness. Yeah. But then if you don't have a support system, when you get back out, you're going to deal with that uncomfort in the most familiar way possible. Yeah. And that's taking it away. Yeah. Quickly. So we need to make sure whether it's leave the light on, whether it's OCJ, whatever it is, you need, you need more than that 28 days. Yeah. Like, and you need that 28 days. Don't get me wrong. Like, that's not at all what I'm saying, but. There's more to it. There's more to it. This is, this is a lifestyle. This is a commitment for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that, and for me, treatment too, like you say, you need that 28 days and mine was 48. And it was just like, if it, if nothing comes of this, at least I have 48 days where I can just get the fuck away and shut my brain off. Mm-hmm. Whether I'm drawing pictures in the fucking sand and playing <clears throat> volleyball, it doesn't matter. At least I'm, I don't have to deal with what's going on at home. Right. Yeah. I just, and like a, a lot of times I tell, tell people that go to treatment, like, Oh, I'm not going to fucking treatment. I'm not a loser. I'm not an addict. And it's just, it's like, show me one fucking guy that is, isn't an addict that will dedicate 48 fucking days of his life <laughs> to figure out who he is. And figure out that why he made the decisions he made and work on himself. Show me that guy. Yeah. Cause I don't know one of them. Right. And that's that desperation of an addict Mm -hmm. that they're one of the most employable people because they have made such inner inwards changes that nobody is on the, on the surface. The normies are willing to even do there. I don't know one person that will dedicate 48 days of their life to figure out who they are. Yeah. Right. Nobody wants to deal with it. That's the man's man. And that's why I enjoy like, yeah, let's go to treatment, work on what you need to work on. And then, like you said, go through the rest of your life, figuring out who you are again and enjoying it. Yeah. Your wife's going to respect you again because you're not puking at four o'clock in the morning wrapped around the toilet and your kids are going to respect you because it's not daddy's time in the garage with the boys and stuff like that. And yeah, that's when the real work, that's a man's man to me. hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. Tell us about your baby, man. Oh, man. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I had a baby boy. He's three months today. Um, so I was in treatment and cool, kind of spidey, tingly senses. Um, same sort of counselor we spoke about, kind of met me where I was at, kind of called me on my bullshit. His name was Tim. Absolute yeah. amazing guy. I was in treatment for 14 days and we, I was doing Sunday Zoom calls with my family. My family couldn't make it the one time. So I just said, hey, man, like, um, do you still want to to my girlfriend or fiance right now? Um, Shayla, do you want to still do a Zoom call? Absolutely. Duh. So we did a Zoom call and I, I don't understand why, but she came up on the screen and I just looked at her and I was just like, are you getting your period? And she's like, what? <laughs> and she starts crying. Yeah. And I'm just like, fuck off. No fucking way. And she fucking runs across the room and uh, she fucking shows me the pregnancy test. And she's like, you're going to be a dad. And I fucking broke down, man. I was just like, holy fuck. And the scariest part about it all was that was Sunday, Saturday night. The boys always did a prayer in the chapel thing. I'm, I don't believe in the whole God thing. I say, whatever keeps you fucking sober is what we'll call them. And, uh, I prayed, I said, Hey, whoever's listening, I found my higher power to be people like you guys. And, uh, I said, show me, am I doing the right thing? Am I where I need to be? I, I don't know. Like, did I make the right choice? Could I have live this a little bit longer and, and this and that. And I was convincing myself and I was just like, just give me fucking something. So that night there was a huge fucking thunderstorm, huge lightning storm. So I was like, Oh, this is pretty cool. Right. Maybe that's my sign. Like cool little thing, right. Picking <laughs> up on whatever. Right. Nah, he and can beat that <laughs> Sunday. Boom. She came on and man, that was the greatest feeling. So I jumped up and we finished talking. I ran out and I was fucking jumping through the halls, man. And my counselor was like, what the fuck? What are you on? Like, as a joke. And I'm like, well, come over here. Come over here. He's like, I'm going to be a fucking dad. And he's like, no way, no way. And I'm like, yeah, she just told me. And he's like, how long have you been in treatment? And I said, it's 14 days today. And he starts crying. So I'm like, what the fuck? And uh, he's, he was like, come over here. So we went over here and we talked. And he's like, I was on my 14th day sitting in the same room we're sitting right now when I found out that I was going to be a dad. I'm 10 years sober today. Oh and I'm God. like, holy shit, no way. So yeah, I told the whole treatment. And then treatment really flipped for me. I had to grab the reins and kind of pull back because I was like, oh, I'm not doing it for me anymore. I'm going to be a dad. And it's like, no, yeah. fuck that. Yeah. You still have to do it for yourself for because sure. you can't do it for anybody else, man. I got to be the best version of myself so I can be there for that little dude, right? Yeah, and I didn't yeah. know he was a boy girl whatever I didn't care and um so I was treatment went boom fast and I was home and uh she videoed it all and stuff like that and then uh the pregnancy went really really good she had a cesarean um by choice uh, she's just little so yeah. she didn't want any risk anything and uh when I held that little man for the first time and he opened his eyes and looked up at me man I was just like holy fuck I, I remember just staring at him. I swear to God, guys, he ate twice. I'm like, give me the bottle. I'm just staring at him. And I, they're like, you have to burp at him. I'm just staring into his eyes. I'm like, this is mine. And I was like, now now life begins, right? Like, Miracle. And that's when I flipped where I don't, I don't really care if it's about me anymore because I'm doing it and I'm living it and I'm okay. This is even more about you, dude. Yeah. I said, me and you, buddy, let's go. And like that <laughs> piece now, it's like he's three months. He's starting to laugh and recognize your voice. And 
smiling and stuff like that. I'm in heaven, man. I could never imagine bringing a kid into the world that I was living with the people that were coming to my house, man. <laughs> I promised my fiance I would never. I would never bring a child into the the life and getting ripped out of bed at three o'clock in the morning, throwing thrown across the room and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. who are you? What are you doing here? Kind of lifestyle that I was living. I was just like, there's no way I can be a dad. I can't even live with myself. I'm still a fucking kid. Yeah. And so now I got to care for this little guy. I am so glad. So it worked out. My first father's day was my one year of sobriety. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it was all the stars aligned and, I'll never look back obviously now and being the best version that I can be and being the person my dad was for me when I was growing up, I couldn't, I couldn't ask for more. Oh, dude. I got goosebumps. Yeah. It reminds me when I found out I was going to be a dad and I was just getting released from police custody. (laughs) Sort of similar. Similar stories. Yeah. Good work. Well, you know what? I think, uh, this is the start of something really cool. I really enjoy having you around and uh, getting to know you more. I know Rick, I'm sure you feel the same way, but I think there's just something we always talk about how people get put in your path at the right time for the right reasons. And we've had countless um, illustrations of that since we started our collective journey. And even in my own personal recovery, right? The right people show up when they're supposed to show up and I'm present now to recognize it and, same thing with you, right? I'm sure you've experienced that. But yeah. I think when we got connected and when the individual who put us onto each other, it was the right time, the right moment, you know, and here you are today. And I, I don't know where it's going to go, man, but it's amazing. What you're doing in Lethbridge and what we're doing here is obviously from the numbers you've talked about and the people that you've seen get help, it's needed. Yeah. I mean, this is something that we just talked about it this morning. If If somebody would have told us, you know, eight months ago when we sat down and had our first coffee together, that we'd be here today and effectively starting to make some change and a real difference in society and in our city. And you're doing the same thing in Lethbridge, man. We would have laughed at them. We're like, we're just three recovered alcoholics and drug addicts just having coffee and shitstorming what we can do differently, right? What's the action piece we can do? And now we're here. Yeah. And it's been a wild ride, but man, I don't know where it's going to go, but we just keep saying yes. And it's yeah. amazing things turn out. Well, it's pretty wild when you, when you think about like the potential of this, I mean, you know, you just being by yourself down there and all the work you've done and us being here doing the work that we've done. It's like, we're, it feels like there's this momentum and it's like, it's, it's uncanny how you're doing exactly the same thing. Like you were, we're the same organization, right? It's ridiculous. And you even look the same as all of us. (laughs) You fit the mold, buddy. You guys could be brothers. (laughs) We're going to get some women recruited here. Yeah. But it's, um, it's it's pretty wild that you think to think about the momentum of this thing, right? And everybody you help, you're planting that seed. Everybody we help, we're planting that seed. And it's like this huge, feels like we're on the beginning, like just the beginning of a wave that I didn't even know was a wave, right? It started as a ripple and yeah, it, yeah. like, I don't know, all the fucking analogies, right? But <laughs> I don't know, man, it's pretty wild. I think we're going to see a lot of each other. Yeah. No, and uh, that's, a, that's huge, you guys. Um, thank you so much for having me on. Um, it far substantially succeeded my expectations and, and that's the yes, saying yes to everything I've noticed. Like I I've said yes to every person, everything, every scenario since I've been out and 
like it blew up like the ripple effect you just said um it just keeps getting better and better and better and the days get feel like they get longer so i have more time to to make that impact and and make that change and i'm trying to cram in and be there for everybody at the same time and stuff like that and the 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 fucked up part about all of it is i could spend all my days off doing that and not even have a problem like my days off go boom and i'm back to work and I, I, it doesn't bother me. I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm going to get through these four days of work <clears> and then boom, I have four days to dedicate towards who can I help? What difference can I make? Yeah. Like, and, and not to kind of pump my own tires, but I'm the type of person where I seen, uh, there was a young lady and a man handing out waters yesterday, um, at seven 11. And I said, <laughs> are you guys handing out waters to there? We have a lot of addicts in this one area and a lot of suffering homeless and stuff like that. And, uh, they're like, yeah. So I slipped him a $10 bill. I said, here's for the next batch of water. And even that sort of that, that piece is just being that person around that area. I've noticed like just getting the, the, for me, it's not the, the, the people it's for mm-hmm. me, Jack, you know, I had them the $10 bill. What's $10 to me. Yeah. That that's the next batch of waters that literally can save somebody's life with the temperatures that are coming in Lefferts 35, 37 for and sure. stuff like that. So making that change, making that difference and, and to find out you guys are doing the exact same thing, anything you want me a part of, I'm there, man. Absolutely, man. Amazing. Plug your uh, social media, dude. Uh, you'll find me on facebook at leave a light on project yeah uh check out there's lots of cool stories and stuff like that i had a guy um from the states he was in the uh, army or yeah army i believe and um he got uh burns over 90 percent of his body and stuff like that so there's a lot of cool stories about mental illness um ptsd and um the main one obviously addiction so um reach out to me and you can find me message me through there at any time and uh, when I have some free time, I'll get back to you. Totally, man. I know we'll get Dave to put a link to your to your Facebook page sure. in the notes for this episode, man, because what you're doing is amazing. And if I didn't have somebody point me in your direction, I wouldn't have found you. Or maybe I would have at some point. But the more we can help get this word out, the more the right people who need to hear it are going to hear it. So, yeah. Rick? I'm just, it's unreal how like you you fit <laughs> like everything you're doing is just right it's amazing man amazing like and it's just it shows you that i don't know i'm like speechless it's just so fucking amazing that we're all sitting in this room doing the same thing for the same reason yeah mm-hmm. and not not wanting anything for it right oh. like that's the beauty of yeah. it i just it's not work no no, no. it's we're, we're doing it for the right reasons it's not work yeah, it keeps me sober, keeps yeah. me accountable. Yeah, and again, it's I guess it's kind of selfish because at the end of the day, I'm this is what I do to try to be the best version of me I can be. Mm-hmm. I know when I talked to you a couple weeks ago on the phone, 10 minutes we talked on the phone and, and I, we hung up and I phoned Rick and I'm like, dude, it's like I just talked to your brother. This dude <laughs> gets it. He's, he's us. Yeah. He gets it. And yeah. I've been pumped to have you come in, man. Yeah, I know. And that's why I kind of cut that conversation short. I remember, I don't know if you remember, I told you, I was like, I don't want to talk to you anymore because I find like that first initial, yeah. when you have that connection, like let's save that for the podcast. I'm Absolutely, glad we man. did. I'd, I'd love to stuff. be back for sure. Totally. And it's only a couple hours where we might even have a mobile podcast case coming our way. So maybe we'll come to your, we'll come to your turf for the next one. Great. Huh? <laughs> cool, man. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, yeah. boys. From thanks Dark for coming. To life, uh, one of my favorite episodes to date. So tune in. If anybody's got any feedback, feel free to email us, put it on our Facebook page, 
drop Shay a comment, you know, check out his page and uh, like this podcast, share it, do all the things that you do out there and uh, keep tuning in because we have some wild guests coming up. The end. From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by Poncho Parker. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening.